All right, good morning once more, and great to worship God together. A big thank you to all those who participated in the Ronald McDonald House Serving Project. That was fantastic. I think at the end of service, John will come up and tell more about that, but it was a phenomenal time, and thanks to all who participated. And then this week starts our teen internship as well. It's going to be awesome. The title of it is Do Hard Things, which is very exciting, so I'm looking forward to participating in that. And then... Recently, a lot of the, the groups in our church went out and shared their faith, and that was really awesome. And I heard there was great news and great things happening. Some of you might even be here as a result of that this morning. If so, that's awesome. We're studying the book of Acts together, so if you could please turn to Acts chapter 8, and we'll finish this chapter. And then next week, we have two teenagers preaching Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul. It's going to be fantastic. The Holy Spirit is the major character in the book of Acts, guiding and organizing everything. And this morning we'll look at how the Spirit really continues to move in the church and how we can imitate it as well. And so we'll pray and we'll read together and talk about three ideas that really help us in our modern day Christianity to follow the gospel more closely. Let's pray together. Father, we're encouraged to be able to worship you, whatever the weather, and we're most grateful to, to take communion together and really realize the sacrifice of Jesus and how that impacts our life and how it impacts humanity and how we don't earn and we are given the righteousness of Christ. And we pray that as we read these scriptures this morning, Father, the Holy Spirit really brings our mind to conviction to follow your Son more closely and to spread this gospel here in this area. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Starting in Acts chapter 8, we'll read verse 26. This is a, a common passage we've heard probably many times throughout our Christianity. And prayerfully today, we'll learn something new from it and take away something we can apply to our lives. Starting at verse 26, this is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. In verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candike, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. No more real instructions other than that. Go over there, stay put. And in verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so, it did not, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was depraved of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? I mean, this guy is clearly keen to know more. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? Tell me, what does this really mean? And then in the verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? 
which is awesome. It's, and it's, if you didn't know, our brother Tim said got baptized last week. Nothing stood in his way. He got baptized on Sunday. Where is he? He's here somewhere. I saw his face. There he is. Tim was baptized. <laughs> And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. In verse 40, Philip, however, appeared at Azotos and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So Acts chapter 8 is, is the beginning of the gospel spreading further and further out from Jerusalem. Up until chapter 7, it's mainly centered in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 8, Philip, one of the seven that was chosen to help meet needs, gets, gets selected. And he goes and he starts preaching in Samaria. People start converting. Now the Ethiopian eunuch is, is really the first convert outside of Jerusalem and Samaria. So the gospel is starting to spread to all the earth. And then we see Saul in chapter 9, a, an important convert there, Cornelius in chapter 10. So Luke is showing, look, the gospel is starting to infiltrate the entire world. And in this morning, we're going to look at three points that we learn from this text. We're going to learn about the Spirit, because it is the major agent that creates everything in this passage, in the Bible, and in, in our lives. We're going to talk about setbacks, and we're going to talk about suffering. Point number one about the Spirit, it's, it's clearly setting everything in motion in this text here, throughout the book of Acts as well. It's interesting that this eunuch came to, to Jerusalem to worship. He didn't meet any of the disciples who were all in Jerusalem. All the apostles are still in Jerusalem. Plus, once he meets Philip, Philip doesn't say, you know what? The apostles are back in Jerusalem. Why don't you go back there and they'll really teach you the gospel. They walked with Jesus. And instead, the Holy Spirit arranged for this private Bible study between the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. In verse 26, an angel is the person who tells Philip, go over there to that road. And in the Bible, the Spirit often prompts angels to do these things. So we see the Spirit beginning to nudge Philip in the direction. And in verse 29... It's very clear. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I'm not going to tell you what to say. I'm not going to tell you how to word it, how to package it. Just go over there and stand there. And he does. And that's what the Spirit does. And it's not a coincidence that the eunuch is reading from Isaiah. Clearly, the Spirit had brought all this together because if you read the entire passage from Isaiah 52 to Isaiah 56, in that, in that text, here's exactly what it says. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, and let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give them a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I mean, he's reading this passage that talks about Jesus and eunuchs. This is not coincidence. It's clearly the Holy Spirit, Spirit that orchestrated all of this. And then to finalize it in verse 39 and 40, Philip gets snatched away by the Holy Spirit somehow and ends up in another place preaching the gospel. And th this, is, this is a radical thing for the early church to see, is this guy was darker skinned, he's Gentile, and now he's 
become a Christian. And it was radical for Philip because he's kind of the trailblazer in this sense. He's the one that goes to Samaria, starts preaching, people become Christians. And now he meets somebody completely different, preaches the word to him, and this guy becomes a Christian as well. It's very radical. But it's not Philip that was radical. It was the spirit that set everything in motion that was radical. Philip was just open to align himself with the spirit. As we read through the Bible, you'll see the Holy Spirit is a trailblazer by nature. It opens doors. It opens paths for people. If they want to align themselves with God, they can align themselves with the Spirit and blaze new trails. That's what happened with Philip. He just does what the Spirit told him, and he opens the door for a Gentile nation, which is very inspiring. Do Hard Things is a book written by these two guys. They are teenagers. They finished their schooling at age 16. They worked for the Supreme Court in the U.S. They organized political campaigns. They wrote one book that sold half a million copies. And then they wrote another book after that. They've spoken at conferences all over the world. And then they turned 20. These guys are trailblazers. And they started in their youth at age 16. They weren't just writing books. They were doing hard things. And these guys speak at Christian conferences all over the world. And and they just basically put themselves in a position to be used. And it took off. And that's kind of the whole context of what our teen internship is about. Doing hard things. Not settling for the status quo. Allowing the spirit to put you in the right place at the right time. And just seeing what happens. So this week, man, I'm so excited because I believe the Holy Spirit is looking for young men and women to do hard things. I believe he's looking for young men and women to align themselves with the Spirit and be trailblazers. And I believe as a church, it's really important for us to embrace this idea. Because as our church gets older, we get older, right? That's, that's kind of a reality. We need young men and women filled with the Spirit doing hard things. Here's a fact about our church. In the next five years, at least 20 of our kids will enter into the teen ministry. That's awesome. Okay, that's 20 young, energetic, fired up teenagers and they're going to shape the fabric of our church that's inspiring and i I believe in the next 10 years they'll be the ones kicking of us kicking all of us out of the positions of leadership in a good way because that's what we need as we get older we settle in our ways and we have only one way but the youth man they're ready to do stuff they're ready to do hard things and that's what we need in the next 15 years somebody's going to be gunning for my position i hope they do I hope they do. That's what we need. We need a church of young men and women listening to the Holy Spirit. That's how things change. That's what radical movements begin. I believe our youth are not satisfied with the status quo in society. I believe they they want deep down to do something incredible. And you know what? I believe that the youth, even in our church, are not satisfied with our status quo. Because we we hit ceilings, we hit levels, and we hit comfortability zones. But the the young men and women, the Bible says that that's their strength. The strength of the youth is is their strength. Their vitality. And and this is a call for our church to, to pray for this internship. 
to pray for our young men and women, to invest in our young men and women. Let them do hard things and just let them fly. Let them go. Let's, let's be encouraging to our young men. And women. let's pray for Timothy as he starts university next year. Let's pray for the Westlake Bible Talk to really bring people to hear the gospel. Let's pray for those 20 new incoming teenagers as they hit the teen ministry. And let's pray for the teen workers and teen leaders as they guide them and shepherd them. And let's pray we all have this opportunity to rise to the occasion and let the Spirit allow us to blaze new paths it's coming the youth are coming after that 20 there'll be another 40 it's going to happen as a church we really have to just let them align themselves with the spirit and have a major impact and maybe even a major turning point for our church for the rest of us will you listen to the holy spirit it's always trying to get you to blaze a new path it's always trying to get you to blaze a new trail Maybe you're not going to go to a, a city and meet an entirely new person and plant a church, but maybe you can start a prayer chain that happens once a month that prays for all of our kids. Maybe you can start a prayer chain for people that are starting to study the Bible. Whatever it is, you can align yourself with the Spirit and be a trailblazer as well. Amen? The Spirit helped Philip be a trailblazer. It can also help us. Point number two is about setbacks. The Ethiopian eunuch is is a great example of somebody overcoming spiritual setbacks. If you're not aware, get ready. A eunuch is a male person who's been castrated. That prevents him from mingling with any of the royal women and allowing any children to be produced because he works in the royal court. So he's limited in that fact, but he's also limited spiritually. In Deuteronomy 23, it says, those in that position cannot enter the temple. So just naturally, he's already at a setback. He can't have kids. He can't enter the temple. In any case, the Bible says that he goes to Jerusalem specifically to worship in verse 27. He's not a Jew. He's not grown up with the law, but he's heard about God. And he's curious about God. And he's curious enough to travel over 900 kilometers in a chariot to go to the temple. And imagine, he's probably not aware that when he gets to the temple, there is a sign on the temple that doesn't allow Gentiles to enter past a certain point. So imagine his disappointment or his potential disappointment as he travels to Jerusalem, gets out of his chariot, he gets ready to come to church. He says, what's up, Olaf? And Olaf says, bro, you can't come in here. You're a eunuch. I mean, what are you saying? I drove 900 kilometers to come and visit. And imagine the potential anger, rage, or bitterness at Olaf or the church by saying, you you don't understand. I've traveled all this way. But even after this potential disappointment on his way home in verse 28, his curiosity leads him to continue to read the Bible. And that's what he's reading in verse 28. On his way home in his chariot, he's reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And that's when the Spirit brings Philip over to him. This could have been a big setback for this eunuch. Say, hey, you know what? I've had it with this religion. They're not going to allow me in the temple. I'm out of here. But his curiosity kept him going despite his setbacks. This is a man named Wayne Gordon. He's in his late 80s, probably close to 90 now. His parents were slaves in the United States. His mother died when he was seven months old 
from starvation. His father remarried and with his stepmom moved away about 50 kilometers and lived in slave quarters, essentially. And he remembers being a young age, going to work in a field, hauling hay, where they paid you $2 a day. And at the end of the day, he came to the, to the gentleman in charge, and the guy gave him 15 cents, even though the rate was $2. And because he worked in these fields for this, he had to drop out of school at year three. So he's, he's barely educated. He's broke. And then he has a brother who actually served in World War II who's black as well. His brother comes back from the war during this stir of the civil rights. He's standing in line to watch a movie. And he's talking too loud. And a policeman came and shot him. Because he was too loud while standing in line. And here he is. This, this, this guy had clear setbacks in his life. His mom is absent, dead. His father, not educated, cannot read or write. His brother killed by law enforcement. All the ingredients for bitterness and rage. Yet despite all these setbacks, he's received 14 honorary doctorate degrees from universities all over the United States. Right now, he currently serves on the board of directors of Prison Fellowship, but if you don't know, that's the largest fellowship for prisoners in the world. He serves on the board of directors to that. He's also on the board of directors of World Vision, which is a humanitarian aid development organization. He co-founded another organization. He's written over 10 books, and he currently leads a church in Mississippi. Now, this guy overcame setbacks. And reading his memoir, he says, I took responsibility for my life. He said the turning point was when this guy gave him 15 cents. And he looked at the money and he felt like, I'm not even going to take this. And he got angry and bitter. But at that moment, he realized the way I respond is my responsibility. And I'm responsible for my own life. I'll take this money. I'll keep working. And I'll overcome setbacks. And most of us think life will go like this. I have a plan to get on a bike and ride to point B and it's going to be sweet as. But the reality is you start and then you hit a hill with trees and then you have a ski lift and there's a, there's a big lake of water with a who knows what that is and all these different obstacles. And it's like you imagine life one way, but the reality of life is you will encounter setbacks. That's what happens. Everyone in their life is going to encounter them at some point. Many people have stopped pursuing God and they cite setbacks as the reason to stop pursuing God. You've heard it and I've heard it. I was forced to attend a Christian school when I was young. That's why I don't go to church anymore. I mean, that's interesting because they don't really complain about my parents forced me to eat three times a day. They forced me to go to sleep and get good news. You know, but they forced me to go to school and that's the reason. But surely you're a different person now that you're grown up. Or another criticism, I know too many hypocrites. People that say they're Christian but don't really live the Christian life. And so because of that reason, because of that, I don't really pursue Christianity. I tried reading the Bible once when I was young, and it didn't work. Instead of taking responsibility, they shift blame and say, here's a setback, and I quit. 
God can't be real. Church can't be worth it. The Bible's encouragement is to you, like the eunuch, like Wayne Gordon, don't let setbacks dictate your life. Don't let them define you or your spiritual life. And just because we're Christian doesn't mean we're immune to setbacks. We will all experience them as well. The apostles in Acts were arrested, flogged, one stone to death, and all eventually most will be killed because of following Jesus. I'd say those are pretty clear setbacks. But despite that, the gospel continued to spread. Instead of being a setback, it became a stepping stone for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. I think in my Christian life, and often in our Christian lives, setbacks become a reason for our behavior. And they, they, they become real reasons in our mind. I was rebuked harshly when I was a young Christian. And therefore, that's why I'm hesitant about discipling. I mean, I, I, I was spoken to harshly at points at times, but, but it didn't define who I was. You know, it was a potential setback or someone else told someone else information. They didn't have my permission. That's why I'm not open about my life. And that becomes the reason for them not being open. I served so much and I never got recognized or I got burned. That's why I keep to myself. I prayed and fasted, but I got no answer. And that's why I'm bitter. Now, let me be clear. All of these are unfortunate. If this has happened to you, this is not to trivialize anything that's happened in your life that, had, that results in real scars, real spiritual damage. However, counselors often use this phrase, you may not be able to prevent being shot by a bullet, but once you get shot, it's your responsibility to take that bullet out. And I think the same applies spiritually. Some of the stuff you just can't prevent from happening in life. Setbacks are bound to come. But if they define you, you'll live a life of angriness and bitterness and excuses. The eunuch could have walked away bitter. But he sat outside of his chariot and he continued to read the Bible. His setback became a stepping stone. He becomes this Gentile convert. If you look in early Christianity, he, it, it, it's, it's, it's possible that he went to different parts and spread Christianity as well. His setback became a stepping stone. Ours can as well. Third and lastly, it's about suffering. When the eunuch reads this passage, it, it deals with a passage in Isaiah that talks a lot about suffering. In verse 31, he's not able to understand, and he starts reading verse 32. This is the passage that the eunuch was reading. He was laid like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This is taken straight out of Psalm 52 and 53. Why is that important? This, Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. This Passage Isaiah 52 and, and 53 is quoted almost 40 times in the New Testament alone. And every time it has this connection to suffering. And so as, as, as the, the eunuch reads this, here's some of the things that he's reading. Isaiah 53 verse 3. And it's Isaiah talking about what Philip will describe as Jesus fulfilling all this. He was a man of suffering. Familiar with pain. The next verse, verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. As the eunuch reads these concepts and ideas, and this image of suffering emerges, he asks Philip, who is being talked about here? Is it the prophet? Or is he talking about someone else? Because, because suffering is common to all humanity, right? We, we've all experienced some level of suffering, whether it's on the basis of our own bad decisions or mistakes, and we suffer, or innocent suffering. We see hundreds of thousands of refugees suffering innocently. But, but, this, but, but in this passage, it's a different type of suffering. It's someone suffering on behalf of someone else. And that's a bit foreign because it says that this guy took up our suffering and God's will was to crush him. Isaiah in this passage is saying one man will suffer for the entire nation of Israel. One man will suffer for humanity. And the eunuch says, what, who is being talked about here? There's no one else in history other than Jesus than this applies to. No one else suffers for the entire human race. And this is the passage the eunuch reads informed by the Spirit to understand the gospel. As a teenager, I was often given the privilege of experiencing the disciplinary technique of grounding. Often my innocent and naive behavior would trace its way back to my parents and the conclusion would be grounding. Often for months. The most was three months at one time. Now, this was also a bit before the video game era. It was in the era where kids still went outside to play and we went to the neighborhood and we played basketball and all that kind of stuff. So you couldn't take away video games. So you just sat in the house, grounded for three months. That's why I'm crazy. <laughs> Part of the reason. And I could not leave the premises. And so that I, I, I remember I got to do something. So that's when I learned to walk on my hands. I would just walk on my hands in the front yard and sing songs, balance it. And I got to do something. But I, I, there was never one occasion when I got grounded where one of my mates said, Hey, Dave, I, I'll take your spot, mate. I'll be grounded for you. I'll be stuck in my house and you go roam around. That never happened. I wish it would have. But it never happened. In fact, that's never happened in my life where someone says, hey, I'll take, I'll take the bullet. I'll take the blame. I'll take it for you. That doesn't happen. No one normally does that. No one says, I'll willingly suffer on your behalf, no matter how minor or major. Why? Why? But, 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 but if someone does that, if one of my mates said, I'll take the three-month grounding, I said, man, you're crazy. But I'll fire it up. I'll take it. <laughs> But it would cause me to think, why would somebody do that? Why would somebody willingly take the punishment I deserve? That's what's going through the eunuch's mind. Who is being talked about? Why would one man suffer for everybody? For me, who can't even enter the temple. Why, why, why? What is he trying to say to me? I mean, the obvious answer is Jesus is trying to communicate something about his love and depth of love for humanity. Think about that. Think about all of our arrogance. Think about all of the arrogance combined in this room. And Jesus says, I'll willingly take all of that. Think about all of the combined disrespect 
that we've all given in our lives. And Jesus says, you know what? I'll willingly take all that. All the combined deceit, all the combined neglect, all the combined immorality, all of the combined selfishness, stubbornness, bitterness, rage. Jesus says, I'll suffer on behalf of it all. Who, Who is this guy talking about? Who would suffer like that? No one except Jesus. As John mentioned, it's the only religion on the planet that has a divine being suffering for humanity. Every other divine being elevates above humanity, can't relate, can't connect, is above it all. Jesus comes down and dies for every last one of us. And I believe that when we come together on on Sundays, it is to take communion, it is to understand the cross, because that is the only ingredient for long-term change. That's the only ingredient for long-term change. If you want to know how to grow in your Christianity, yes, you can read, and yes, you can study, and yes, you can read books and commentaries, but to the depth that you understand the cross is to the depth that you will continue to change. It illuminates everything about your Christian life. The cross and the suffering of Jesus continues to motivate all of us to follow Him more closely. It creates loyalty. When I stop, reflect, and meditate on a man who willingly suffered all the way to death for me, it creates a sense of, man, i got to be loyal to this person. To be loyal to this person for the rest of my life. It shatters my own view of goodness. No matter how good I think I am, I would never do what Jesus did. It shatters that view and it opens my eyes to the suffering of others. And when other people suffer, I say, man, Jesus suffered for them too. It's all, and, and the eunuch gets this. He gets it because he's limited. He's suffering. But Jesus suffered for him as well. And I believe as, as Christians, we all have to be constantly moved by the suffering of Jesus. Because that's what will help us grow and continue to grow in our Christian lives. As we've looked at this passage this morning about Acts chapter 8 and the Spirit continuing to push the gospel to the ends of the earth, let's all be reminded that the Spirit is always the major agent of change. And let's be prayerful and let's be, let's be encouraging to our young men and women this week as they do hard things and align themselves with the Holy Spirit. Whatever setbacks you've had in your life, don't let them define you. The eunuch is an illustration of someone who overcomes and uses his setbacks as stepping stones. And lastly, to continue to grow in your Christian life, it's all about reflecting on Jesus. The cross and the suffering which continue to help you grow in your understanding as well. Amen.